Welcome to Sound and Vision. Conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists from around the world to join us for spring 2023 marathons in drawing and sculpture from January 17th to the 27th. Rigorous and immersive, marathons unfold over 10 days from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time daily and present an extensive range of art-making strategies, comprehensive critiques, and inspirational discussions. Expansive, first-hand discoveries propel artists to relate to drawing and sculpture as direct methodologies for understanding their experience in the world, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon's conclusion. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the best acrylics and mediums, core watercolors, and Williamsburg oil paints in New Berlin, New York. An employee-owned company, Golden is dedicated to making the best paints that artists can use in their studios. I've been painting with Golden for over 23 years, and I swear by it. Check out their paints at your local art store or at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. They make amazing coffee and ship their beans to your doorstep so you can have incredible coffee at home. I'm an avid coffee drinker, and I love the coffee that I get from Fulcrum through their subscription service. There's always new coffee to try, and it's always top quality. Check out their coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com and add the code ALFREDSTUDIO to your order, and you'll get 20% off. That's a pretty great deal. Fulcrumcoffee.com Why I Make Art is out now. My book from the Sound and Vision podcast has features on 30 artists I've interviewed, tons of quotes from the artists I've had on the pod, and even some sketches from the Sound and Vision guest book. It's 25 bucks well spent in my opinion. You can get it wherever you get books or from the publisher's website, atelieredictions.com. And if you get it or already have it, please leave a review and rating where you got it. It's been an amazing response from the book, and I hope it gives you inspiration in the studio or in your daily life. On this week's podcast, I've selected some clips of artists talking about music to round out 2022. Some of the highlights of my conversations with artists about their relationship to music in different ways, how it enters their studio, its inspiration, you know, how music fits into their life as an artist. The first person we're going to hear from is Alice Tippett. You're, I've, I've read that the question was, seems to be asked of you, like, what do you listen to while you're working? And I think you maybe mentioned not too much music, maybe some podcasts or maybe a little, but you like to just work in silence. Yeah. So my question, my follow up to someone else's question is, but what about when you're not working? Are you a music fan? Like, what do you, what do you like when you're not working? Oh, well, I, I mean, I do listen to music. I just, when I'm working, it'd be very sporadic. Like I might put something on, but then when it runs out, I'm not going to like move on to the next thing. Right. But I'm putting the studio out of this. Like yeah, when you wake yeah. up or what, what, what's your music life like outside of the studio? You know, I kind of, uh, I don't, I don't pay attention to 
new music at all. Like at that point in my life, I guess is past. And so really what it is, I just get into like older stuff. Right. <laughs> like last year and through this year, I got really into Curtis Mayfield. Whoa, um, nice. <laughs> and Nothing wrong with that. I bought a bunch of Curtis Mayfield records and I'm still really into Curtis Mayfield. Well, it's, it's often, he's often my first choice when I come to the studio. Listen to Curtis. Um, I love that. See, this is why this yeah. question's so good because I'm not, for whatever reason, I wouldn't have pegged you as a Curtis Mayfield person. But I like love th- that's Curtis. the first go to. I mean, <laughs> now I'm not going to have Pusher Man out of my head for a couple days. I'm, oh, after yeah. we are done talking, that's going straight on the Sonos. <laughs> that bass line alone, you know, it's just like. Can I recommend an album? Can I recommend Give, Get, Take, and Have? <laughs> of course. This is like, it's like 1976. Curtis is. Curtis is um, sort of, it's like a, it's a dis, it's got, it's got some disco in it. I think you can handle it. I love disco. I mean, it's not full on disco, but it's, there's some, uh, it's amazing dance Yeah, it's like the album. funk disco. Just, it's like the Patrice Ruchen genre mm-hmm. of uh, sort of funk disco stuff. Yeah. Do you know her? No, no. You know the song Haven't You Heard? I don't know. Oh, you gotta write it down. She's oh, haven't you heard? I'm oh, you probably heard "Forget Me Nots." Forget Me Nots. <laughs> no. That's no, but I'll look it up. Um, but yeah, she's amazing. But yeah. it's that genre. Yeah, I know. I know Curtis Mayfield pretty well because my dad, growing up, was a huge Motown head, and like he loved, mm-hmm. like Sly and the Family Stone. I mean, I know coming out of Motown, he loved all that soul and like disco stuff. Used yeah. to go disco dancing with my mom. Pretty great. Curtis had his own record label. It was pretty like I mean, he's kind of a revolutionary guy. Definitely. Um, yeah. Very. Move on up is one of the best songs ever. If you great. ask me. He has so many good songs. Yes. <laughs> um, so that's what'll happen is I'll like I'll like find I'll click something will click. So maybe something I've you know listen to for years but then i'll just take like a dive into into the back cattle <laughs> yeah go deep and then and then in, and then in, at a certain point and it just becomes part of you know it moves into the background and then something else comes up but it never goes away it's just part of the mass of things that i listen to um have you uh just to before i forget mm-hmm. have you listened to the chicago gangsters i mean it's apropos no, I don't think so. Can you do me a favor? Chicago Gangsters. You won't be. You won't be disappointed. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> what is it? Uh, it's from that era. You just. Okay. You know. Okay, I'll look it up. I think you'll dig it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm. I think I approach music the way I approach a lot of things. I, it's sort of scattershot. Like I'll find something and I'll get really into it but it, then I that's it like I don't like go I don't it's the same way with artists and with books like I'll read one particular writer really in depth but then I don't read any of their like <laughs> people around them right um, you're not you an know. algorithm person you're not like okay I'll listen to the 10 other I, people who you like this it. maybe you would like this next up is painter Jose Lerma. When I was in college, I was a jazz DJ, 
And then eventually I got subjected to Latin jazz, you know. <laughs> and then like I had kind of the same experience with salsa because it seemed so different, let alone bachata and like all the other music that yeah. I learned about after that or, you know, um, but uh, like reggaeton. But but salsa was like, and, you know, we would go out to this place, this like small divey bar where there was salsa dancing and it was, it was like, no, this is like amazing, you know, and I joined, like we started a, a salsa, like a bastardized version of like a salsa band. Really? Uh, but that music, yeah, the rhythm and the music was like so infectious, but it's just outside of what you're used to you know what i mean that becomes like alluring and it can refresh your idea of what music or art or whatever it is can be you know what i mean which i think is so important for expanding your mind you know yeah. is to just be exposed to something else basically yeah and i think well salsa the, the thing about salsa is that the of all the latin sort of popular music it was the one that Salsa is really from New York, um, right. even though Puerto Rico is its biggest uh, exporter. Um, yeah, it exploded in New York. Yeah, so the jazz time for dancing. It brought jazz was, and dance together. That's what that was. That's what it was. It was jazz musicians mixing with Latin musicians that created this type of music that was very complex, particularly early salsa. So we have these. Right. We have a uh, in the seventies. They're called hard salsa, the salsa dura. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the 70s stuff, and the lyrics were always about, you know, drug addicts, and it was very kind of, it was our urban music. Like Willie Colon style? Yeah, like Willie Colon, yeah. like, right. you know, Hector Lavoe, and yeah, uh, yeah. even a Gran Combo. So you would get these kind of hard, harder, you know, yeah, they were, they were dance hall bands, but they were singing about very urban stuff, and, and right. they were kind of injected with jazzy chords that were difficult. And difficult for like a 15 year old to so it all sounded too grown up or too <laughs> you know. right. yeah, but yeah. uh now i'm like wow these guys were geniuses um uh, and then it got replaced by the time i was 15 it got replaced by something called romantic salsa or erotic salsa mm -hmm. and that was more kind of poppy and about the and so and then reggaeton came in and it's a different different vibe we had a in-between period of like spanish rock that yeah. that lasted for a few years and um but really that's been the the evolution now reggaeton is kind of you know sort of worldwide and that caught me by surprise because when i was like when i was younger i was like well it's just a beat <laughs> you're gonna base <laughs> no, everything right. like a whole movement around like one single but so is drum, drum beat is just yeah but i mean it like it was literally one you know kind of drum pattern <laughs> I know. yeah exactly and, and so every I, single song is the same yeah. i thought but, like, but reggae was like that too yeah you know yeah but i mean it it was the, the thing about reggae is that it would slow down and you would have different drum patterns between reggae the the skank guitar thing was what kind of joined the whole thing right. together yeah 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 but this thing was literally one drum pattern <laughs> <laughs> I know <laughs> around I the whole it. thing, and I, I and I never thought that would have the lasting impact that it did. It really caught me by surprise. Yeah, uh, but the four four and the and popular American music yeah. is just as predictable. Oh yeah, like the, A B A B. Sort of four you on know the, what I mean? What's called a four on the floor or whatever. Four the, on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Just like you know, that's, a backbeat of like four four time. Yeah, that's the kind of mainstay of disco. And the blues are one. you know that's 
it, with that song structure, but it's the same. I mean, everything was the same, basically. Right. It was built off the same pattern. Jazz really blew things up. You know, that's when they were playing around the beat. Right. But it's funny because I never came to salsa because obviously I wasn't, I didn't grow up in Puerto Rico. So, or, you know, anywhere where salsa was being played. So I came to it from the jazz end. So like Machito and Tito Puente was right. like the stuff that I, that was my entryway. Right. Which was pretty cool because then I could, the linearity of it, I could just see it as it progressed and moved on, you know. Yeah, you, com- you came from complexity and just got into the dance part of it. Right. Yeah, but, but whenever, you know, and actually my wife that, you know, at that time we were dating, we would go to the Parkside and on Houston Street and, yeah. and dance the Latin jazz, you know, and it was just like when you, there's a difference between listening to it and then when you go and you dance to it, you know, it's like a whole, then you get oh, it. Oh, <laughs> that was the thing that when I was a kid, there's, dancing salsa is not like normal dancing, like. Like there's specific right. steps, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I and I learned that the hard way, um, because you think that because you're from here it comes that no you have to learn it. It's the fault. Like <laughs> yeah. you just broke it's it. not <laughs> like it's not like it's like a free form thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's good stuff though. Um, what do you when you're working in the studio? Do you listen to music or do you? TV, I listen radio. Yeah, I listen to, um, let me see, I have a just classical uh, radio station. I always leave it on. Next up is artist Laura Krivka. I'm sure you love, spoiler, you can't spoil that. But remember at the end when there's the picture on the wall? Uh-huh. And you're playing that old-timey jazz? Yes. It's like the perfect... Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's Have really you heard Deerhoof's cover of that song at the end? No, I haven't. They do but They do like a cover of the Shining songs. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, that's cool. I gotta I, check that out. I recommend it. Deerhoof's one of those bands that I respect and I, I like their music. I just haven't dug deep into their, their oeuvre, but... Yeah, that's a good transition to music because I wanted to ask you about along the way. So early on, the jazz (laughs) and all that stuff. What Mm -hmm. has music been important? Has your where have your tastes gone, and have they evolved on a parallel track to your painting? Um, yeah. I mean, I I'm a music e person. Um, I feel like (laughs) my my taste is very (laughs) like SoCal, right? Like sublime. uh, like sublime i love sublime and i love no doubt and that's basically where it stops um now like mac demarco was a pretty like a big guy that dude is so funny he's funny have you seen him live i haven't seen him live but i've seen live videos of him and interviews and the guy cracks me up he's He's hilarious he's canadian though canadians just that's i guess he's not from california but i when i think of california that's like the vibe that I think of. Oh, do you like a home shake? You would like home shake. Hmm, I don't know who that is. Oh, maybe I, feel I like do, I and I don't hooked know you up. Name. I'm bad at names, um, but I have this like insane Spotify pay- playlist that I play in class, and um, my young my students are like normal age students, right? So like 18 and 19, and I'm always like, okay, the 37 year old woman's gonna play <laughs> your music for you, <laughs> and then. Like the I know, greatest, like you're always a little like, uh, yeah. The greatest is they'll like Shazam. It. They're like, who is this? 
oh my god your music taste is so cool and I'm just I'd like try to play it cool but inside I'm like ah, ah, they like me they like me I'm still yeah <laughs> they still think I'm cool right nice well done it's a good feeling it's a great feeling and now it's recorded forever in the podcast that no one will listen to but maybe one there day you go. well you know maybe one student will listen to it bump <laughs> bump into it <laughs> so so comu- so check out home shake i think you okay. might like them if you like mac demarco okay um and then are we also talking like you know snoop dogg and you know obviously who, is, is it dogg. all like you know nwa it's all nwa all the time right Compton. I mean, Compton was a, a hotbed of music when you were a youngster. I was so Actually, young. that might have been before your time, before your yeah, time right? I was too little. But, yeah. um, I mean, I you know, like growing up in Southern California, it was all Blink-182. Um, that wasn't really my, my vibe. My vibe was, um, I was counterculture. I don't know if you can oh. tell, but I'm a counterculture kind of girl. Did you like Elliot Smith or something? Uh, no, I was worse. I liked ska. Um, There's so, nothing wrong with. I hate when people like think ska is bad. Ska is great. So I loved ska. I still paint in my Aquabats t-shirt. Um, Don't know that. I'm the Aquabats. <laughs> so here, I'm not trying to be a purist or old, but okay, I we'll love see. like dub reggae and like ska. Like okay, that's all you right. know what I mean. Like the original like Jamaican stuff. Uh-huh. And I okay, I think I I kind of missed the boat on the West Coast. Like real big fish, I think is one of the oh, ba- like those I kind loved of bands. Real big fish. Are they good? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I loved them as a teenager. That's um, why I like Rancid because it's kind of got a yeah. ska punk vibe to it. I like I, when ska and punk blend combine. Yeah. yeah, that I still hear that music and I like am filled with memories of like the one cool guy that went to my high school that skateboarded. Next up is artist Andrew Ross. Are there musicians or music that you feel like maybe parallels your work a little bit? Or musicians that you feel like, yeah, that's the creative process or that's something that I, you know, Maybe it's not your favorite stuff, but you maybe you just feel like it aligns with an aesthetic or with an idea of of something that you're doing. Yeah. Um, the first things that come to mind are maybe um, a little bit embarrassing. <laughs> uh, not not actually that that's rude of me to say, but. Um, The first thing that comes to mind is Daniel Behar, who has, who also goes by Destroyer. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to listen to that a lot in the in the studio. I know that you've brought up a lot of stuff that I don't know in this podcast. <laughs> that's surprising. That's surprising because I don't know a lot about music compared to a lot of my friends. What genre but, um, of music is that? I don't really. Or what oof. is it? It sounds like um, Thomas Hirshhorn. <laughs> uh, yeah, it sounds like new age um, folk, folky music, like 
alternative rock folk with some sometimes with some synthy sounds like some uh really repetitive like philip glass like synthy sounds nice and very poetic lyrics um yeah i like i like music that's almost like poetry you know yeah like i like really really long songs that uh are epic <laughs> yeah. you know um i also listen to a lot of um movie soundtracks those lately. are epic yeah yeah my son's like, a I film major in high school and he is all about the soundtrack stuff you know i had to learn that the mandalorian theme on guitar not that it was hard but i you know i learned that and we would play that and it's a really good soundtrack <laughs> I think I've heard that one. And Inception, we we love that movie. And Inception's the best one. I've never watched the movie, but the soundtrack's so good. Oh really? You got to yeah. the soundtrack and not the movie. The movie. Well, I don't. Know. I'm not a huge film guy, but I really like the movie. Right. I will. I will finally watch it someday soon. <laughs> it's just late. It's it's kind of mind bending. You know, it took me a couple times. But yeah, that soundtrack, right? It is epic. There's something really good about it. Oh, you know what else comes to mind musically? And I think it is... I don't know what you'd call these genres, but this is also something I listened to when I was a teenager, and I still like it now. This band, Shushu, XIU, XIU. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like indie rock, right? I guess you could call it that. I mean, it's performative. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I, I do like a lot of these... I don't know. I guess I would call them like new age indie rock, maybe. Um, Lucky Dragons, yeah, was a big one for me for a little bit. Um, yeah. Did you go right. see a lot of live music when you were? In school, like in those, you know, early days? Not so much when I was in school, but a little bit after. Next is artist Delphine Henley. Because I remember when I saw the show at uh, Carvalho Park, Mm -hmm. you know, it, that, you know, you could hear a little... Mozart in your mind. Oh yeah, that's so funny. You should bring that up because it's actually that. Those are like that's like my, like, I don't know. When I was a kid, and I would, I, uh, my parents play a lot of music. Would play a lot of music in the house, and often it would it would vary from you know classical to to jazz to, to you know everything. But I remember I would hear broke music, and I would actually like I'd be like five or six, and I'd be like. I'd, I'd, I'd almost like feel like I'd get into a trance and, I'd, and I would tell my parents that I lived in that time. I'd be like, I used to live this joint. This music is bringing me back to my memories. And right. like, they would be like, okay, weirdo. You know, like, yeah, like, you know, I was like, but I was like, I was, you know, I didn't understand reincarnation, but I, I was convinced I had, that that music somehow was like from my other, another life of mine, you know? Yeah. Right. You would think anyone who would go along with that would be. Yeah. <laughs> Like oh yeah, that was your life. Like, I think, 
well, let's work it out. Let's work it. And, and they're like, yeah, what a weirdo. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think they probably encouraged it. They probably were like, oh, really? And what did you wear in those days? You know, like right, that kind of right. thing. <laughs> did Velasquez paint you <laughs> yeah. too in that portrait? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, but I, that kind of music, I could just, you know, it's, I think there's, there, like I was saying before, when I looked at your, when I've looked at your work in person and been around it, there's kind of a feeling you get and uh, I'm sure it's slightly different and that happens with every artist but I think it's just a testament to the sort of like world that you're building and the the look and feel of it that it has you know an atmosphere absolutely I mean when I listen to that music for instance I see like an architecture you know like the the mathematical kind of like uh, octave changes and all that like create like steps and architecture for me visually and so like it, it, it's so related to like my whole drive with formalism and like construct and making like the, the, the rectangle become like broken up with pieces. You know what I mean? It's like the fracture. You, yeah, fracture. those are, those are compositions. Yeah, yeah compositions. Whereas like, you know, like Ornette Coleman is like Pollock where it's just like a process. Yeah. It's like, we're just talking about. But you feel the you know, compositional the, influence on, the, on Ornette Coleman though. And like, yeah. Of course. But I think it's a different, it's a, a different Absolutely. aura. You know Absolutely. what I mean? It's it's more physical. Classical music feels more orchestrated. Oh, Obviously, yeah. it's mm-hmm. more, you know, performed. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, it's a performance where, you know, free jazz just feels like sweaty guys mm-hmm. in a room just making music. Yeah. And they're performing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're doing yeah. it. Yeah, they're doing it. They're not performing yeah. it. Yeah. That's the, you know, classical is generally you are in a way you're just performing a piece yeah, yeah. you know whereas like you know in jazz you're you're expressing yourself you're you're doing yeah. like a composition actually it's know. so funny you should bring this up because i remember in grad school um i had like a visit with aki sasamoto i don't know if you're familiar with her work oh yeah no, yeah, yeah she's amazing she was she was she was i didn't take her class but um i had her in my studio and she uh and i was kind of blocked actually uh, and it was really close to thesis, and I remember being really, um, yeah. Anyway, and we, she put on. She was like, "Do you know Anthony Braxton?" And and I was like, "No." And so we listened to some. What the hell? Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's Anthony so amazing. Yeah. Of course, yeah. You know, I mean, he drew compositions, and his son is Tyundai, so yeah. musician. Yeah, but I mean, that seems like such a rogue. Well, like, why would she? It's genius, but why would she bring that up? I don't know. Studio? Well, because we were talking about um, the figure, and I had been painting like I'd been painting like a diminutive figure as opposed to like these bigger, oh, okay. larger filling the space. I'd sort of reduced the figure to a kind of a smaller component of the painting. Okay. I was trying to be more. Yeah, I was yeah. trying to get more abstract, and I was thinking of like Philip Guston and his like big, the Nixon drawings that were up at Hauser and Wirth at the time. It was like oh, his yeah. Nixon show, you know, and and I remember like wanting to do that kind of thing where it was more like a comic space, comic book space or something. Anyway, so I had the smaller figure, but then it wasn't really working for me. And she had me listen to um, I don't I think it's called March, Anthony Braxton's March. It's like based I don't off know, of any school. of his. Yeah, it was based off of like a I had a I had records that had drawings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the compositions were yeah, drawings. Yeah. And it was but it, but this one was based off of like the marching band kind of mm-hmm. doo, doo, you know I am not going to yeah. sing it because I'm tone deaf but like um that kind of format 
and then it shifts, right? It goes into all these crazy loopy architectures and stuff like weird spaces and stuff, but then comes back to the marching band, you know, goes in and out, you know? And so the yeah. person I was painting was actually kind of on a walk and marching across the canvas. And then, so all of a sudden, by listening to the music and then also by like kind of studying my figure as like trying to be more embodied with my figure that I was painting, I saw it go like, mm -hmm. you know, like almost like when you're, you know, those early Disney movies where like, I think it's Dumbo where he gets drunk or something and all of a sudden he's like getting huge oh, and yeah, small they and then stretching, <laughs> you know, like when they, anyway. Um, yeah. And just like outline format kind of thing. Um, and I was sort of like, it just sort of allowed me to be more malleable with how I saw the potential for how I could draw the figure because I allowed it to be driven by the nice. music, which which was, yeah, the, that, that piece, the Anthony Braxton one, the March. Next up is artist Jean-Pierre Roy. Man, when I was like a, when I was an 18 year old kid working in the film industry and, and then on weekends working for my dad's uh, heating and cooling company, you know, like it was just constant early ACDC I've had a feeling it was going to go there <laughs> well that that was then but now it's good stuff hey I mean you know talk about uh, where, where you, you say muddy waters you know I mean yeah. it's it's just it's all it's all that just brought up to another generation right you know? uh, it's at the core of um, a certain kind of music uh, but really the music that I've probably listened to, the band that I probably listened to the most. God, that's such a hard question. Because you said this earlier, you know, you said some people really respond to the instruments and they make beautiful, grand, sublime statements without the spoken word. Right. And, and some people need the pop of a vocabulary. And weirdly, I've always been... Like, I've always been a landscape guy, and I've always been an instrumental guy. Yeah. Uh, Me too. I've been more of an instrumental guy. It's my wife who, in high school, uh, she's going to kill me for saying this, but would, like, listen to Dylan and write, you know, notebooks of lyrics. Yeah. And, you know, everybody, everybody that she loved, she would transcribe the lyrics. And to this day, we can listen to anything written before, like, 1992, and... She knows the lyrics to it. There that's are impressive. lyrics I never knew exist. Like I, I'm, she confront. Like I didn't. I had no idea that that's what this song was about because I'm listening to the landscape behind it all. You know. Yeah. So there's a lot of a uh, lot of ambient and a lot of landscape. I mean, landscape. A lot of uh, in instrumentally driven music that I listen to. And I, I gotta say, like the most formative for me. This is probably gonna sound both timely and a little cheesy. Uh, was probably the the Greek uh, uh, composer and uh, and also keyboardist and musician uh, Vangelis, you know who did or Vangelis who did the 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 first Blade Runner soundtrack and oh, Chariots yeah. of Fire and you know he he had such a huge musical library that extended back to like 
Europe, early European prog rock in the late 60s and 70s before any of his cinematic stuff. Just these crazy musical landscapes and his pre-cinematic stuff. Heaven and Hell is an incredible album. And he's influenced the entire generation of, uh, you know, like he influenced uh, like all the, the Carpenter soundtracks and John Carpenter's synth wave stuff and then all the people who grew up on John Carpenter and now are doing all their own synth wave music and you know like bands like Survive did all the Stranger Things stuff like yeah. it's become such a part of the kind of like retro kind of contemporary cinematic landscape that that synthetic that synthesizer sound and he was really one of the early pioneers in it and so I, I, I say not just in terms of the music that I listen to, but how I end up hearing him in everything around me right, right. now. Yeah, you no, know? It, it's cotton that that kind of like vaporwave synthy. Yeah, 80s yeah, that vaporwave stuff. Yeah, it 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 connects. I I wonder. It must sound so different to young people who didn't live through that. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> when I hear vaporwave stuff, I'm like, yep, I know. You know, I start thinking of like you know. Um. Like all all those old shows, you know, there was such a an aesthetic. Like a, the sound of it just brings me to all the that era, you know. And, and because that, I mean, because it was all because so much of it was synthetic, and so much of it, very little was actually symphonic or right. like driven by like actual physical instruments. There was such a kind of almost like imaginative remove to the sound like it sounds like it's coming at you through a kind of veil of dimensionality you know there's a it's like on the other side of some kind of liminal barrier so the second you hear that it's like you know that anything any images associated with this music there's certain narrative structures that are going to be suspended and there's other ones that are going to be reinforced it's it's such it cues up like you said all this strange um like proprioceptive nostalgic stuff uh that is and sometimes i feel like uh that that's just that's too much baggage to have like some of this music really needs to like kind of create its own it's like some of the some of the uh, some of it carries too much of that through time but there is something iconic uh about that music that i think is kind of like cemented into the firm some of it cemented in the, the firmament as no this is now part of the canon right. and this is like a new this was a new vocabulary but it's now become a, an irreplaceable part of not just the the human sonic landscape but the human emotional landscape last but not least is evax some of you might know Evan Mast from his other band called Ratatat that has released records on XL Records for a while. And um, he's also writes his own music as himself, which is Evax. And he's done production for tons of like Kid Cudi, Jay-Z, all sorts of uh, amazing musicians. But in this clip, he and I talk a little bit about Herb Albert, who, if you don't know who Herb Albert is, he was kind of uh, like an instrumental jazz guy and with some orchestration. And there was a phenomenon where you would just find Herb Albert records at every thrift store. 
So if you're into going to thrift stores, you knew who Herb Albert was just by seeing the records. But we talk about a specific sample from a clip that I love. And uh, he actually knows quite a bit about Herb Albert. So we talk about that. And after the clip, we'll round it out with the um, song that we talk about, which is sampled. <laughs> but at one point, everyone had a Herb Albert record. Yeah. Like my dad had one. But they're like... There's like great songs in there. There was something I was listening to recently and there was a great hook in it. And I was like, what is the sample? And now you could do the who sampled who or whatever on YouTube. And it was Herb Albert. And I was like, oh, Mm. I forget what song it was. But it's like that thing where the hook you know so well from the current song. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, I wonder what that is. And you go back and you're like, oh my God. Like I had a phase of that. It might be um, that song. One of his songs, Rise, was sampled by like whoever produced Biggie, one of, one of Biggie's records, because there's a Biggie song. Oh, that's One it. of the biggest Biggie songs has a Herb Alpert Hypnotize. Song. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. Yeah, yeah. And totally. you're like, <laughs> the, the combination of Biggie and, hip, and yeah. like Herb Alpert <laughs> is such a funny... Yeah, and that's kind of like late career Herb Alpert too. Like that was like 80s where he's... You wouldn't like notice the sample right away because it's not like a traditional Herb Alpert type of sound. It's not the like right. Tijuana Brass. Stuff. Yeah, and you gotta wait in that song for that hook. Yeah. It's, I think it's deep into the song or something and it's only for a little bit. Yeah. But those are like the gems, I feel like. I mean, I w- somebody needs to do like a full-length documentary on Herb Alpert. Like, apparently he played all the parts on those early Herb Alpert in the Tijuana. There was no Tijuana Brass. It was just Herb Alpert. Lots <laughs> of other tracks of Herb Alpert. He'd play name. all the horns individually and just layer them. That's crazy. I yeah. know zero about Herb Alpert. He, and then he, after Tijuana Brass, they were like wildly successful. Like, yeah. There's, I don't think there's been like an instrumental act since that's had that level of success. They were like selling out stadiums like without vocals, which is insane. <laughs> but It is crazy. After that, he started A&M Records, which became like this massive record label. I don't think it exists anymore, but they had, I don't know what they put out, but like huge right. stuff. Like, I don't know. He did it? He started yeah, it? Yeah, he started it and did that for years. Yeah. I think he still lives in LA and Mm-hmm. 
Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. Many thanks for listening to this episode, and many thanks for a great 2022. I want to thank all my guests that I've had all year long. It's been specifically this year an amazing year for the podcast, because not only have I gotten to talk to amazing people, and also I was able to release a book called Why I Make Art, which is a, a collection of you know, some of the conversations that I've had with artists over the years with some images and quotes. And it's just been a really great experience getting this book out there in a different level. So all in all, it's been an incredible year with the podcast and I couldn't do it without all the artists that I, you know, am fortunate enough to speak with. So I want to thank them. And I want to thank everyone who listens, everyone who sends messages, who you know, gives me the positive sort of feedback that just fuels me to keep doing these every week. I also want to thank the sponsors for Sound of Vision. Golden has been with us for a long time, and I've been using Golden Artist Colors for a long time. So I feel it's the best paint in the world, and a lot of people agree with me. So go out and get yourself some Golden Paint and make some art. Many thanks to Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum is amazing. They make great coffee. They'll ship it to your door. They're based out of Seattle. I'm fortunate enough to have murals in one of their stores in Seattle, and we've worked on this partnership, and it's been amazing. So many thanks to them. Also, New York Studio School doing their marathons. But that's it. This is 2022 for Sound and Vision. Looking forward to 23. We've got a lot of artists that I'm setting up conversations with and that I'm excited to not only have but share with you guys. Ways that you guys can support the podcast if you'd like. If you made it this far, you're probably a fan. That You can leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else, Spotify, wherever else you listen to the podcast. That really helps get it out there to the people who uh, might be interested in hearing from artists. Also, you can pick up the book, Why I Make Art. It's available everywhere from Barnes & Noble to Amazon to the publisher, Atelier Editions, anywhere you get books. And um, other ways you could support is just by sharing. Sharing it, telling a friend, and um, go out there and make art. Make the world a better place. Onward to 23.